Uncensored Sass the Podcast. My name is Rye. And I'm Julia. In this podcast, we discuss facts and our opinions on a variety of topics. This week, we're discussing why Christmas is about Christ. So the first topic we're going to go into is the history of Christmas. So from your knowledge, where does the word Christmas come from? So just like breaking the word down, it starts with Christ. So I don't know what else Christ could mean other than the very famous Jesus Christ. And then Mass, I mean, Mass is like a a collection, like a collective, you know, like a ceremony, but it's just one S, so I don't know if that changes. So I don't know, it just seems like via the term, it's a celebration of Christ. Yeah, so let's verify that information because you're not wrong. The title Christmas is attributed to the celebration of the Mass of Christ. Churchgoers gather for a ceremony known as a Mass, also known as a Communion or a Eucharist, which Mm. commemorates Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. This was done on Christmas Eve at midnight, or Christ Mass, because it was the only religious ceremony authorized at sunset. Also in Hebrew, Yom, aka Day, starts at sunset, not sunrise. Therefore, the holiday known as Christ Mass, abbreviated to Christmas. That makes sense. Yeah. So, how did December 25th become Christmas? See, what had happened was, is that colonizers saw these pagan rituals and was like, let me slap religion on it. And the Bible never specifically says what day Jesus was born. So this seems logical. Let's just slap it on this holiday that pagans already use. Let's take their imagery and then just, you know, Jesusify it a bit. So there's a lot of information on this, but let's start with the truth is we don't know. We know that pagan customs may have influenced many aspects of the event beginning in the 4th century extending to present day. This could be because Jesus was crucified around Passover and rabbis believed that beautiful things could be expected year after year at the same time. Rather than pagan rituals, which would explain why the date was chosen. We may also be touching on something that the pagan Romans who celebrated Sol Invictus as well as many other peoples throughout history, would have recognized and claimed as their own with this concept of cycles and the return of God's salvation. The date of Jesus' birth is first recorded in a Roman almanac that chronicles the death dates of famous Christian bishops and martyrs, including those of Jesus. There is no denying that Christ was born in the Judean village of Bethlehem. In about 400 CE, Augustine of Hippo mentions a local dissonant Christian group, the Donatist who kept Christmas festivals on December 25th but refused to celebrate the Epiphany on January 6th, regarding it as an innovation. Christmas was observed on December 25th, 336, during Emperor Constantine's reign. However, This was only significant because he was the first Christian Roman emperor. This was not an official Roman holiday. I'm just going to start by saying that your response to my response just sounds like the same thing, but a little bit nicer. 
I mean, we're saying the same thing. <laughs> okay. You said he, he was crucified around Passover. Mm-hmm. Well, pa- that's, you know, that's Easter for our Lord and Savior uh, bunny. But the, here's the thing. Passover is nowhere near December 25th. Like, did it just change? The people need to know. Did de- did December change or did Passover change? Because I'm like, it's not anywhere near it. I feel like they just saw it, was like, that's cool. You have a Yule log and, and a, a tree that you decorate for the winter solstice. That's cool. I'm going to slap my baby prophet on that and will be good. So, the most widely accepted theory holds that pagan rituals were adapted and incorporated into Christmas celebrations. This theory has some flaws when it comes to the origins of Christmas. It is not mentioned in any of the early Christian works. The solstice and Jesus' birth are reported in early Christian texts, but there is no trace of recent calendrical shift, meaning that the early Christians didn't believe the church had any say in the date selection. As a result, it is regarded as a sign of divine intervention and proof that God chose Jesus over the heathen deities. <laughs> Sorry. So they're saying that the good book said that winter solstice and Jesus just happened to show up on the same day and they have no control over that. That's what they're saying. Hmm. Well, I feel like that's wrong, but I feel like I have heard elsewhere that he was born in the spring, and that is supposed to be symbolic of, you know, new life and new growth and all that stuff. So I I don't know, um, and I could be wrong. I have not studied any of this in an incredibly long amount of time, but uh, I mean, I just don't think, like, here's my question, and you don't have to have the answer to it. Does it mention anything pre-colonization of these pagan territories? Does it mention anything about Christmas and the celebration thereof? Like in the Roman culture? Yeah. So it does mention that later on, after the death of Christ, that Uh people did celebrate it, but they celebrated it in secret Uh because Christians were crucified and they were killed because they were Christians. So before Christianity became the biggest thing in the world today, there was a period of time while it gained traction where it wasn't, it was not openly accepted to be a Christian. Now, this time you're talking, this is like... Christ's era. Yeah, like, right after he died for, like, the next, like, 500 years. But, like, when was that written? That's my question. Because there's been a lot of, like, different interpretations throughout the history of the Bible where things have been added and taken out, and so I'm just curious, like, when was that added? Because I feel like that would have been added as, like, a convenient, oh, no, no, we've always done this. See, it's right right here. No, so actually the next paragraph does talk about that. More recent studies have shown that many of the holiday's modern trappings do reflect pagan customs borrowed much later, like the Christmas tree, which has been linked to late medieval Druidic practices. However, the first mention of the date for Christmas was circa 200, and 
the earliest celebrations that we know about were circa 250 to 300, come in a period when Christians were not borrowing heavily from pagan traditions. So they saw the pagan traditions and they looked down upon them, essentially. So they didn't participate in, like, the Yule Log. They didn't participate in the Noble Fur. They didn't participate in, you know, the offerings, all that stuff. No. Let's go back to that. Well, I mean, you don't have to look down on the pagans for it, but don't, like, you know, don't take their shtick and then claim it as your own. So, I mean, there's a couple of things that, like, depending on the country, and this this would be very in-depth, we'd have to go through every single country that does this, but depending on the country, some of their stuff is still considered pagan, some of it is still considered Christian in what you're doing. Uh And a lot of it, it didn't all happen at once. It all happened over a period of thousands of years. So what we participate and what we celebrate today as considered like Christmas or Christian values, Christian traditions, only recently became something that we celebrate. Yeah, I do have a comment that I want to make that has nothing to do with anything that we've talked about. And yet it is at the forefront of my frontal lobe of my brain. And it is just punching the front of my skull to get out. Does it seem to you like the nativity is just a seasonal altar to the Christian deity? Because, like, that's a very pagan thing. I'm not sure what you mean. So, pagans have altars to their specific deities because they, you know, they have deities that choose them and etc. And they communicate and they have all these different practices with these altars. And I just feel like, like, the nativity scenes that go up on people's, like, mantles and, like, the candles that go with them and the decorations that go with them, I feel like that's just an altar for the nativity scene which is dedicated to the deity which is jesus christ well yeah i mean now you're touching upon any faith any faith does stuff like that i mean you could go back to like ancient egypt they did stuff like that oh yeah no a hundred percent but like in like today's practice it's heavily regarded as pagan well yeah because modern christian today does have pagan practices What I'm talking about is how it started, and how it started was not pagan. Oh, that's totally fine. Just that little, like, inquiry was just pounding on my skull to get out. Like, because, like, there's the demonization of anything pagan, and that's kind of, like, common rhetoric amongst, you know, God-fearing folk. And so it just entertains me whenever, like, we're like, "Mm, you know what, that's pretty, that looks pretty pagan you know i'm just just saying yeah i think the thing is too one of the things you have to remember is that it's very hard to strictly control an entire populace of anyone so something's got to give and when it comes to religion between the different countries the reason why it varies so much is because between different countries certain people are going to hold on to traditions that are still alive today yeah Things that the ancient Christians would have stomped out of them. After a certain point, you just, you get tired and you're like, okay, whatever, have your fucking Christmas tree. (laughs) Your fucking Christmas tree. Yeah, like, whatever, (laughs) just worship Jesus. I don't care. That's that's my interpretation of it anyway. Throw your fucking lights on that noble fur, you sack of shit. Yeah. (laughs) Because, I mean, even if it wasn't, like, even if it was, like, they walked in your house on Christmas, saw it, and beat you, so they tried to get people to stop, there's still going to be people doing it in secret. That's how Christianity came about in the first place. So, 
According to early Christian belief, the Virgin Mary was notified that she would be the mother of Jesus on March 25th, meaning March 25th would have been the day she conceived Jesus. Okay. What's nine months after March 25th? March was when she was notified, therefore December was when she gave birth. (laughs) Okay. You know, God is magical. God is magic. Like... He couldn't just cook the full baby and then, like, boop, right? Like, that's it? Like, why did she have to be pregnant at all? Why, yeah, why'd she have to go through that? Yeah. Did he have no sympathy? No. None. Th- through her pain and the loss of her virginity to her baby, that's how she That's how she got it. No empathy for Mary, the real MVP of this story. Right? And then, so, early Christians also thought March 25th was when the universe came into being. And coincidentally, that's when Jesus was conceived and died on the same day. Oh, hold on. Coincidentally. Are they... Now, just the way that you phrased it, are they saying that the day that Jesus was conceived, the universe started? So, I'm guessing that, like, it's either that or it's, oh, coincidentally, he just happened to come into being when the universe was created on March 25th, like, X amount of years ago. I was going to say, because that would make his mother a literal child. Yeah. No, that would make everybody a literal child. So I think that the idea was that, like, the day the Big Bang happened, or the equivalent of whatever they thought the Big Bang was at that time, that happened to also be March 25th. Oh, okay. What a coincidence. They're like, the world started and Mary was already an adult. Yeah. So... March 25th, depending on the year, is just after spring solstice. Okay. So Mary being fertile, being with child, creating new life, because in Christian society, life begins at conception, Mm -hmm. and the universe having been created, all coinciding with when spring comes about. Which explains, that's like the new, the whole new life thing. So he was, he was conceived in spring. He was planted in spring and harvested at the solstice. Yeah. Just after the solstice. It was a late harvest. And I think another thing to keep in mind was that we had very little knowledge of, like, women's bodies and pregnancies and stuff at that time. Women had been having babies for hundreds, thousands of years, but they just didn't pay attention. It's a closed practice, so men weren't allowed to know anything about it. (laughs) Yeah. No, they just shut their eyes. (laughs) Yeah. She'll go out in a field, have a baby, and magically she came back, and suddenly she's not fat anymore. Like, thank God. (laughs) There's a whole other human with her. Oh, no. You kind of have to look at it. Like, people say, like, oh, it was a different time. Like, yeah, this was, like, 2,000 plus years ago. (laughs) It was not just a different time. It was a different world. Everything was different. Yeah, no, women were not people. They were objects, literally. You belonged to your husband. Moving forward, the next question I have for you is, where does Xmas come from? Not Christmas, Xmas. So I think, and I feel like, the X is just a placeholder, and the X is for people who may not be religious or may not observe the holiday for religious purposes. Because I think, as we've already discussed, this holiday and this celebration goes beyond Christianity and all, and it, like, surpasses it. Because it's, depending on who you are, it was never about Jesus. So, 
However, the holiday is coined as Christmas, no matter who you are. So I feel like the X is a good substitute for people who are not religious and are not observing the religious rituals, but they can still participate in saying Merry Xmas and not feel weird about having someone's name in their mouth that they don't necessarily believe in or pray to. Oh, okay. So if that's how you celebrate Christmas, I have some news for you. Oh, no! Okay. So many people find the term consulting because it ignores the significance of December 25th celebrating Christ's birth. What? Yeah. In the Greek language and alphabet, the letter looks like an X is the Greek letter for chi, X pronounced chi, it rhymes with I, which is the first letter of the Greek word for Christ or Christos. Chi and Rho are the first two letters of Christos in the Greek alphabet where employed by early church to depict Jesus as a monogram or symbol, it looks like an X with a bit of a P on top. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm familiar. Yeah, so saying Merry Xmas, you're still saying Merry Christmas. Mother trucker. Yeah, it's not to exclude the non-Christians. <laughs> what? My world is blown right now. I, then why do, why do so many religious people get so mad? Is it because they're stupid like me? It's because I don't know. I just learned this today. So this isn't to say like, oh, you're dumb. You don't know this. Like, no, I just learned it today. And I grew up in a Pentecostal household where my grandmother said, don't say Merry Xmas. Say Merry Christmas. Say his name. Say his name. Like, I am saying his name. According to this, I've been saying his name the whole time. Oh my god. My, I am broken. <laughs> okay, so, what am I supposed to do then? <laughs> Don't say Merry Christmas, say Happy Winter Solstice. It depends on if you want to celebrate the 25th or not. There's, a, like, we'll get into it, and the next section is actually about other winter holidays, so. Okay, let's go. Let's do this. Okay. So what we're going to do is I'm going to roughly explain a little bit about this holiday and you can let me know if you've guessed it or not. We're going to make it into a little game and I have one hint for each of them, which may or may not give you the direct answer. Okay. And then I also have some more information about them should you want it. Okay. Okay. So the first one is a celebration commemorating the ratification of a certain holy temple following a certain revolt in the 2nd century BCE, might occur anywhere from late November to late December in the Gregorian calendar. I'm sorry. What? I'm sorry, what? You wanted me to be vague about it. <laughs> I did. I did. I absolutely asked for that. Oh my god. Can you repeat the prompt? Because it was a lot of fancy words. Okay. A celebration commemorating a ratification of a certain holy temple following the revolt of a 2nd century BCE. It might occur anywhere from late November or late December in the Gregorian calendar. Now I can repeat it again with names in it if you want, which might give you a little bit more information, which is originally how I wrote it. <laughs> okay. As the smarter one of the two of us, go ahead and give me the one you wanted to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. 
A celebration commemorating the ratification of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem following the Maccabean Revolt in the 2nd century BCE. It might occur anywhere between late November or late December in the Gregorian calendar. Gregorian meaning our current calendar. Oh, okay. I was like, what does Greg have to do with any of this? Um, he made the calendar. Greg made the calendar. <laughs> so his name was Gregory. His name was Gregory. This is Greg's calendar. We just trust Greg. Yeah, he was a king. We trust him. He's fine. We trust Greg. Greg is good people. Greg is king. We love Greg. Uh, protect Greg at all cost. Okay. You know, for fear of sounding stupid, I'm gonna go ahead and say Christmas. Nope. Nope. Do you want a hint? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big dumb. It lasts for eight days and eight nights. Oh, uh, Hanukkah? Yep, it's Hanukkah. I'm so sorry, Jewish people. I don't know anything about Hanukkah. Good thing it's a closed practice. I know that. So I have a little bit more information if you're interested. Yes. Okay. One of the most significant Hanukkah rituals is lighting the menorah, a nine-branch candle holder. It's customary to light a candle each night of Hanukkah, with the central one acting as the light source for the others. Other Hanukkah family customs include giving gifts, particularly common in North America and Israel. These involve performing Hanukkah songs and reciting psalms. All right, and then the next little bit of information came from Wikipedia, and it states that the miracle of Hanukkah is an Agadah depicted by the Babylonian Talmud as one of the reasons for Hanukkah. In the story, the miracle occurred after the liberation of the temple in Jerusalem during the Maccabean Revolt. And I think it's Maccabean, it could be Maccabay, but it has an N at the end, so correct us if we're wrong. I would think Maccabean. Yeah, it's, it's M-A-C-C-A-B-E-A-N. So it's like Maccabean is how I'm pronouncing it. It's probably like Maccabay. I mean, we're always going to mispronounce things, and it's never meant in any kind of disrespect. We're just stupid. <laughs> uh, well, we try our hardest. <laughs> we, we do. <laughs> All right. It describes the finding of a jug of pure oil enough to light the lamp for one day, but instead it lasted for eight nights. Oh, okay. That's cool. I knew that kind of like in a little bit of that, but I've never known like the full extent. And obviously this is just a rough description, so I just knew about the candle holder and the, the whole story of the menorah. Yeah. No, that's really cool. I really like that. It's beautiful. I love learning about different cultures and different religions and practices, especially when it comes to like relating them to anything I've learned growing up. It's neat. Yeah. So the next one is, this is a week-long holiday celebrated in communities in the United States and Canada created by Malana Krega in 1966. It is observed from December 26th to January 1st and ultimately ends with a feast and exchange of gifts. Uh, is it Kwanzaa? Yes. Hey. It's also celebrated in Western Africa. Kwanzaa honors African heritage in African American culture. During Kwanzaa, seven core principles are celebrated, including unity, self-determination, collective work and responsibility, cooperative economics, purpose, creativity, and faith. Celebration of Kwanzaa can include colorful household decorations with art and African cloth, readings of reflection of the African pledge, and candle lighting ceremony with Kinara, it's K-I-N-A-R-A, so Kinara, which holds just two fewer candles than the menorah. Oh, very cool. 
That is so cool. You don't see enough of uh, Kwanzaa representation in, I mean, really anywhere. I think the fact that it was, like, created in the last hundred years kind of gives people, like, a Scientology-type vibe. Really? Where it's like, this isn't a real religion, but, like, that doesn't mean you shouldn't celebrate it if it's not bad, like, Scientology. I mean, let's just be real. Scientology is scary. Yeah. And awful. And I think Kwanzaa is amazing. And I, I would love to bear witness to the festivities one time at minimum. And I think it was created out of necessity. It feels, it's especially since you, like you said, if it was created in the last hundred years, it feels like it was created out of necessity for that feeling of separation from, you know, your abusers, first off, but then also to have some sort of celebratory event that brings you together as a community. Yeah, so I mean, it was initially created for African Americans, so in that regard, it's not like it came from Africa, and it's not like, oh, we made this to control people. Like, they made it as a way for them to be able to celebrate something that honors their heritage. Yeah, and I think that's amazing. So, okay, yeah, the next one is really short. You'll probably know it just right off the bat. Let me just say the first sentence and we'll see if you get it. It's the shortest day of the year. It, isn't that just the winter solstice? Like the day of? <laughs> yes, it's just the winter solstice. <laughs> I'm just like, this feels like a trick question. <laughs> no. <laughs> so people all over the world participate in festivals and celebrations. Long ago, people celebrated by lighting bonfires and candles to coax back the sun. Oh. So it occurs on December 21st, it's winter solstice, and Wikipedia lists at least six different cultures that celebrate it, including India, Iran, East Asia, Judaism, German, and Roman cult of soul, uh-huh. which is the cult of the sun. We praise the sun around here. I'm surprised they had a cult of the soul. That seems like it'd be an ancient Egyptian thing. Right? It's nice, though. It's cool. I love it. Okay. So... This next one is all for one holiday, but I'm going to tell you, like, different cultures that celebrate it, and just let me know when you've guessed it. Okay. I can give you a hint for each culture if you want. This is from learningliftoff.com. They list four different cultures that celebrate this holiday. So the first one is Ecuador. Families dress a straw man in old clothes. The family members make a will for the straw man to list all their faults. They burn the straw man at midnight in hopes that their marks will disappear with them. So they burn the straw man in hopes that all their faults, the people's faults, will burn with the, with the straw man. Okay. The next one is in Japan, Omisaka is the second most important holiday of the year. Japanese families gather for a late dinner around 11 p.m., and at midnight, many visit a shrine or a temple. In many homes, a cast bell is struck 108 times, symbolizing desires believed to cause human suffering. Okay. So the next one is in Hong Kong, those who live there pray to the gods and ghosts of their ancestors, asking that they will fulfill their wishes. Priests read aloud the names of every living person at the celebration and attach a list of the characters to a paper horse and then set it on fire. The smoke carries the words to the gods and the living will be remembered. Okay, I think I've got it. All right. Is it New Year's? It's New Year's. 
Boom, bitch. <laughs> yeah, because the next one would have given it away like 100%. Because this, this one was Hong Kong. The next one is China. <laughs> yeah, when you were talking about Ecuador, I was like, yeah, I have no idea what that is. And then it made a little bit more sense when you were talking about the Japan one. I was like, okay, I think so. And then you were like, this is this is uh, Hong Kong. And I'm like, yeah, definitely. Definitely <laughs> New Year's. I'm just going to go ahead and read the Chinese one, even though we all know. And keep it in mind, the Chinese New Year does not happen at the same time as our New Year. Yeah. Many children dress in new clothes to celebrate this holiday. And people carry lanterns and join in a huge parade led by a Chinese symbol of strength. According to the legend, the sign hibernates most of the year, so people throw firecrackers to keep it awake. Aww. The symbol being a dragon. Yeah, that's cool. Thought that was super neat that even though we celebrate using the Gregorian calendar, we're not the only ones who celebrate the turn of the year, even though some for some people that turn might be a little bit different than others. I mean, China doesn't have to trust Greg. That's fine. <laughs> they don't trust Greg. Again, like, I only know when the Chinese New Year's happens because of Dead by Daylight, so I don't know if these other cultures celebrated it on the Gregorian calendar. <laughs> a real gamer issue. We only know about culture because of games. Well, I think I knew about it before, but I only really know, like, exactly where it pinpointed. Because, like, obviously I knew it existed, but I never knew it took place in, like, late January, early February. Yeah. Uh, another thing, and correct me if I'm grossly wrong, but with each turning of the Chinese New Year, there's a new animal that's representative of the coming year. And if I recall, 1990, the year that you and I were born, I believe that was a year of the horse. Mm-hmm. So, I was, like, I'm not a horse girl, but I always felt really akin to them. <laughs> For that, for that, for that reason, I'm like, yes, me and horses, we are one and the same. Yeah, in the Chinese culture, depending on which year you're born determines which spirit animal you have. Mm -hmm. Which I always felt kind of cheated because I always felt like a, like more of a cat person, and I was never born on year of the tiger. But then also to find out that in the Chinese lore, cats don't actually get into heaven. Yeah, they get left out. So the next question I have for you is, what is Advent? Advent. Mm. I don't know. Off the top of my head, I have no idea. Okay. So the word Advent comes from the Latin word of arrival, or Adventus, uh -huh. which means non-Christians can celebrate it simply as a fun countdown to Christmas. Advent calendars have been around since the 19th century and have grown steadily more creative but they've also become a marketing opportunity for retailers. That makes sense. So yeah, there's your non-Christian inclusion. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you for the inclusion. You can count down to when we celebrate Christmas. I get to count. Yay. Yay. <laughs> a little bit more information. Most Advent calendars start on December 1st, but the actual first day of the Advent changes with every year. Uh-huh. For example, in 2020, it was November 29th, and this year it was November 28th. The final day of Christmas is the same every year. It's always going to be December 24th, Christmas Eve, though some calendars themselves might run through Christmas Day. The shift was simple. It's because it's easier to market a more consistent calendar every year. Yeah, well, that makes sense. 
So that's all there is to that. But that then leads into if this next question, which you may or may not know. And I'm crossing my fingers that you at least know a little bit. <laughs> we'll see. So far, I'm big dumb. So the next one is, what are the 12 days of Christmas? Oh, the 12 days of Christmas are when you get a bunch of presents, you know, on the last 12 days of Christmas, my true love gave to me. <laughs> that whole song, you know? Yeah, so I, at the very minimum, expected you to know at least something about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, the final countdown. <laughs> so 12 days of Christmas, also known as Christmas Tide, is the period in Christian theology that marks the span between the birth of Christ and the coming of the Magi, or the Three Wise Men. Okay. It begins on the day of Christ's birth and runs for 12 days, traditionally December 25th through January 6th. And so what are we supposed to do in those 12 days? Just be like, hey, these these 12 days, they're a thing. Or, like, is there kind of some kind of ceremony like the song would suggest? My thought process is you would either celebrate, like, Hanukkah celebrates the time before Christmas, Advent celebrates the time before, then there's obviously Christmas where you celebrate the day of, and if you also celebrated the 12 days of Christmas, then you would celebrate it with a gift a day or going to church more, observing it, just depends on your faith. But, like, these 12 days are just the days in which three old men walked to meet a baby of a child, of a person that they have no idea who they are. And they all brought a gift, so. I mean, sure, yeah, that's how the, the story goes. But I'm just like, it's just, you know, it's just 12 days of walking. Mm-hmm. Let's just do 12 days of walking. <laughs> that's what they did. <laughs> so the four weeks preceding Christmas are known as the Advent which begins four Sundays before Christmas and ends on December 24th. So you've got the Advent, you've got Mm -hmm. Christmas, then you've got the 12 days. Okay. Which for me, I always thought, and the way it's marketed, is 12 days of Christmas leading up to Christmas. Yeah. It's always, in my mind, in my memory, has always been marketed as 12 days of Christmas before Christmas actually starts. Yeah. So that might be an interpretation of it, but again, I'm hearkening back on, like, Hallmark's 12 days of Christmas. We're going to be showing a new Christmas film every 12 days leading up to the big day. Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck are the 12 days? Yeah. You know, turns out they're actually after Christmas. Yeah. It's it's like it ends the, it starts Christmas and then it's like ends January 12th or January whatever. Yeah. I can't math. I don't, don't expect me to math, but you know, it ends 12 days. That's weird. Cause yeah, it's always used as to lead up. Some of the sources also mentioned that January 6th was also a proposed day of when Jesus could have been born. I think part of it, too, was that I don't know if they knew how old Jesus was when he died. I also don't think that they celebrated births. I could Mm -hmm. be wrong in that, but I think it was more remarkable to celebrate his death and what he died for as opposed to him being born, especially considering they may not have known that actual day. Yeah. So just the fact that he existed and he died rather than like, oh, this is the day he was born. So that might be why Christmas took so long to actually become a thing. But that's my interpretation of it. That's not actual fact. Yeah. And I mean, as per the documentation, his his death is definitely more, I mean, for lack of a better term, like dramatic. And it sticks out because it's such a, a clear event. 
You know, it's not like he just, you know, died in the countryside in his sleep. Mm -hmm. Like, it was a big, iconic event. Like, it happened, and everyone was like, (gasps) and women were weeping and all this stuff, and it's just... So it's easier to kind of keep track of that than it is the birth. Yeah, I think there may be actual records of his death, or at least an actual record of somebody's death around that time. Yeah. Just because they did keep records of that back then. They There is also, like, birth records and stuff, because one of the sources that I had um, looked into said that the reason why Mary and Joseph were going to Jerusalem in the first place was for the census. Mm-hmm. So they were actually going there to be counted as part of a populace, so there might actually be records of Christ having been born, depending on whether or not they made it and if they counted the baby, because depending on birth survival rates, they may not count babies. I don't know. I'm not a historian. Yeah, they may not count them until they're like, until like they pass one year mark or something. Yeah. So, I mean, just based on survival rates for babies, they may, just, may have been like, nope, too young. Come back when he's five. <laughs> I don't know. That also might be why they don't know when his birthday is, because he may never have been counted in a census. Yeah. So these are just hypotheses on my part. Yeah. Because I just know, like, even going back, like, when the U.S. was first founded, survival rates of babies, not good. Going back 100 years, survival rates of babies, not good. So imagine what it was 2,000 years ago. Yeah, very low. Yeah. So the next one goes into the origins of the song. The earliest known version appeared in a 1780 children's book called Mirth Without Mischief. Some historians think the song could be in French origin. Most agree that it was designed as a memory game where the loser had to award the winner with a gift if they made a mistake. The 12 Days of Christmas? Yeah. Understood. Yeah. Okay. According to late historian William Studwell, known for his Christmas carol expertise, and this is a direct quote, This is not originally a Catholic song, no matter what you hear on the internet. Neutral reference books say that this is nonsense. If there was such a catechism device, a secret code, it was derived from the original secular song. It's a derivative, not the source. It's a derivative and not the what? Not the source. It's not a song that that relates directly to Christ. So a lot of people were saying like, oh, the turtle dove is Christ and this is this and these three rings or whatever is the three wise men. So they were trying to create meaning for every lyric of the song. And that was just not the case. Yeah, that is just interesting. That's really cool. I'm glad that they're like, no, no, it's not religious. It's just it just exists. Yeah, it's just a fun song, you know, and I I like the part where they're like, oh, it's a memory game, and if you lose, you give your opponent something. Traditionally, it was like a kiss, but, you know, 1700s French people. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff in terms of, like, Christian symbolism, Christmas symbolism, and winter symbolism that we're not going to touch upon. Uh Uh-huh. I just wanted to put that out there. I can list those what I've thought of them, but just if we don't mention it, it's because we don't have time, because we're already running pretty late as it is. Yeah, yeah. Alright, so the next one, the next question I have for you is, what is Yule? So, all that I know about Yule is like the Yule log, or the Yule tree, which the Yule log gets burned, and then, based on the previous conversation we have, Burning the Yule log, I would assume, encourages the sun to come back. The Yule tree is the decorated live tree inside the residence. I don't know necessarily 
what that would be representative of, but, like, my very basic dumb, dumb understanding is that it would be a type of, um, like, altar to Mother Nature herself, where the presents that go under it are, like, offerings, um, that we exchange with each other. I don't, I don't really know. So I think, like, Yule is just where those items came from. Okay. So Yule and Yuletide are essentially synonymous with Christmas. The word Yule comes from Old English, geo, which shares a history with the equivalent word from Old Norse, yol, J-O-L. Okay. Yule celebrates the winter solstice, which has traditionally been marked as the season's halfway point. There are many theories of what Yule was all about, but some say it's about celebrating the return of the sun and the renewal of the fertile northern land after long winter solstice. Fun fact, the celebration of Yule is the oldest winter celebration in the world. Oh, nice. Here for that. So burning a log in celebration of Yule started well before medieval times. It began as part of the winter solstice festivities. The log was lit to entice the sun to return as part of the Yule or Yule festival in Scandinavia. The candles and lights associated with Christmas, which symbolize guiding beacons for the Christ child, may have evolved from the Yule log. Okay. The Yule log was originally an entire tree. Families would bring in the trunk and the Yule tree inside and stick the big end of the tree into the fireplace. Oh, no. The Yule log would feed the fire through 12 days of Christmas, from Christmas Day through the evening of January 5th known as the Twelfth Night. So we're going back on the 12 days of Christmas. I I feel like that's not only not how fire works, but then also that's a huge, like, fire hazard. Imagine people be doing that today with our Christmas trees. Oh my gosh. Yeah, sticking a whole ass fucking tree in there. I would imagine if it's a freshly cut tree or if it's a damp log, it would take you doing that in order for it to actually feed the flames. I mean, maybe, but I feel like the fire would go out before it could continue. Yeah. I mean, not 100% sure how that's supposed to work, but that's what it says. I also think that this this last little bit of information is a little weird considering it says, oh, it's supposed to feed it for 12 days of Christmas. And then before that mentions that it's like, oh, the Yule log actually didn't have anything to do with Christianity at all. And it's like, well, which is true? Yeah. Which one's true? So it might be that, like, that is how it evolved, whereas it started with burning the Yule log was part of bringing the sun back, or it likes coaxing the sun to come back, and then it, like, turned into heating your home and celebrating it that way. Yeah. It's like, if you don't come back, I'm burning all your trees. (laughs) We might also be thinking of, like, a huge tree, whereas this could have been, like, a small tree, too. I mean, a tree is a tree at the end of the day. Even, like, a a forefoot is pretty... Like, imagine sticking, like, your Christmas day comes around, you're like, yay, cool. But the day after Christmas, you're like, okay, we gotta stick the tree in the fireplace, help me undecorate it. Like, it's still gonna be a decent size, because a tree is a tree, unless you, like, strip off the branches. We also have to question what kind of fireplaces they had, because I don't think their fireplaces were, like, directly on their floor. It was probably more like a fire pit mm-hmm. where there's more room to work around. But it's just, it, it's it's jarring to me to envision it, at least in today's society. I'd love to see a demonstration on how it's done 
and maybe how it can be done today. Maybe it's just now like, oh, you know, the day after Christmas, now we just chop up the tree and the next 12 days, we just use the pieces of the tree and we throw in the fireplace and that's how we do it. Like, that would make sense. That to me makes more sense than like, oh, they brought the whole tree inside and just <laughs> stuck it in there. <laughs> right. Directly what it says. And I'm like, mm, doubt. <laughs> I mean, maybe originally, but I think like practicing that today would be very harmful messy and dangerous so i'd like to see like how it how this tradition has adapted in today and and you mentioned it originated in scandinavia i'd I'd be interested to see how scandinavia today participates in that if if they in fact still do at all i'm sure there's something but i didn't go down that rabbit hole (laughs) i tried to stay surface level with a lot of this because there's a lot of holes you can trip into there is a lot that that we could just spiral down into yeah. Yeah. The next bit of information is where the Christmas tree actually comes from. Okay. So this is from history.com. Uh, the other information was from almanac.com. I'll list the sources in the show notes just because I've been kind of terrible at like saying where all this information come from. I did not make it up off the top of my head. I did get it from somewhere, but I have not attributed it as of yet. So... The history of Christmas trees goes back to the symbolic use of evergreens in ancient Egypt and Rome. It continues through German tradition of candlelit Christmas trees brought to America in the 1800s. Candle lit? Candle lit. Oh my goodness. Oh, I just imagine like any um, home insurance agents listening and they're like, for hyper specific situational reasons, then they're like, oh my God. They're just panicking because, <laughs> like, this is just so many violations of any kind of like home insurance and and any of that. Oh my god, it's so scary! Uh, like the tree, we would have to keep it like super hydrated, constantly, almost drowning. Did you ever watch that cartoon of the Nutcracker from the nineties? Oh, if I did, it hasn't been. It's been at least ten plus years. So I watched it last year. And one of the things I noticed was that they lit candles on their tree. And the tree was so high, it touched the ceiling. Oof. Yeah. I was like, what? You're asking your house to just burn down. I mean, granted, this was a cartoon, but still, what? Yeah, still. Like, the imagery. Like, you just, you know. On the last day of Christmas, my mother gave to me a house burning down. Because she lit the tree. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I never realized how much information there was about Christmas trees. I mean, it makes sense, though. Especially considering, like, it goes, it dates back to ancient Egypt and Rome. Yeah. Long before the advent of Christianity, plants and trees that remained green all year had a special meaning for people in the winter. Just as people today decorate their homes during the festive season with pine, spruce, and fir trees, ancient peoples hung evergreen over their doors and windows. In many countries, it was believed that evergreens would keep away witches, ghosts, evil spirits, and illness. Huh. No one appreciates the witches. No one appreciates the witches. (laughs) Not even the ancient Egypts. Just appreciate your your local witch. They're very nice people. Usually they're just midwives. Like, you pulled that out of my wife? Yeah, they're either midwives or they're um, brewery women. Women that brew, like, beer and mead. Like, thank you for this brew. Witch. Witch, burn her! But give me all her booze. Yeah, give me all her booze. Now give me another one. Okay, so I feel like 
outside of the surface level list that you just gave me. I feel like the trees that stay green through the winter and through the fall, I, I feel like that to people, not necessarily just ancient civilizations, but people in general, that would like symbolize a certain level of determination and it shows a level of resilience that maybe they don't feel personally because if they can do it if those trees can stay green if those trees can live and stay green when everything else is dying out then so can we you know which makes me wonder what kind of plants in egypt stay green all year round yeah i don't know like i don't imagine they have a lot of pine and fir but like palm trees maybe because the palm at least i don't know about you know in your part of california but in my part of california the palm trees stay green all year round i mean there's a lot that stays green all year round up here valid same but i'm just like trying to think specifically <laughs> the like, tropical trees that i have seen in my real day-to-day -day life i i it just makes me wonder like i don't think they have cactus over there otherwise they'd probably be using that too yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a palm tree actually be affected by a season. Yeah, I, I don't pay enough attention to know, so. Also, um, here's a here's a quick did you know. Uh, did you know that Christmas trees are grown in all 50 states, including Hawaii and Alaska? I did not know, but now that you say it out loud, it makes sense. Because how are we going to import Christmas trees to Hawaii and Alaska? I mean, Alaska makes sense, but Hawaii is like, mm, that's weird. <laughs> and and the, it definitely begs to the question, like, if they can survive in Hawaii, maybe they can survive in Egypt. Yeah. And I think that just begs back to the, the concept of the resilience. Because, mm -hmm. you know, we've got states in all different levels of altitude and dryness and weather types and... You know, and so it's it it just begs that fact that, you know, Christmas trees are resilient. But it also depends on like what what kind of tree. Yeah. Because it's no longer just pine. Well, it mentions pine, spruce and fir. So uh -huh. I mean I'm not a horticologist, so I wouldn't know which ones survive what? best in what climate. What? What what that's what? You're not? I'm not a I'm not, sorry. I don't have the green thumb that my grandpa had. Why don't you have a degree in everything that we talk about? Don't you know that's what you need? No, I have a degree and I can find you the answer if you give me a day. <laughs> Valid. I do not have the answer now, but I will find it for you. Come back tomorrow with the answer. <laughs> yeah. Next one is historical figures. Okay. Guess who we're starting with? Jesus. No. Santa. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Saint Nick. Chris Kringle. Yeah, yeah. So Santa Claus, also known as Saint Nicholas or Chris Kringle, has a history steeped in Christmas traditions. Makes sense. <laughs> Do you want to first ta tell us about your relationship with Santa Claus? My relationship with Santa Claus is a very confusing one because I'm not always good. So when he checks his list twice, he's like, damn this bitch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I've, you know, obviously when you get to be a certain age, your parents kind of break the news to you that Santa isn't real. But I think that 
the ideals behind Santa and some of the stories that we get told about Santa. I think they're so wholesome and amazing. And um, a lot of, at least the media that I've consumed, is that against an oppressive um, authoritarian figure, you know, Nicholas delivered joy and happiness to children um, who were necessarily deserving and very kind and didn't really do anything wrong, but they were being oppressed and punished by this, you know, authoritative figure. And so he snuck in and, and, you know, delivered them toys. And I think that's really cool. Um, I'm here for that energy. Um, but also I think that the, the idea of perpetuating general goodness is, uh, a good idea. And I think that he doesn't lay down hard, hard lines on what good is. I think it allows for interpretation, but striving for that general goodness is, I think, something that's very important. And I like the idea around him as kind of like the protector of children and nature and everything that is good. And it makes me very happy. And I try to always contemplate that when doing something. So the legend of Santa Claus can be traced back hundreds of years to a monk named St. Nicholas. It is believed that St. Nicholas was born sometime around 280 AD in Patara near Mira in modern day Turkey. Much admired for his piety and kindness, St. Nicholas became the subject of many legends. He gave away all his inherited wealth and traveled to the countryside to help the poor and sick. St. Nicholas made his first inroads to American popular culture towards the 18th century. In December 1773 and again in 1774, a New York newspaper reported that groups of Dutch families had gathered to honor the anniversary of his death. Santa Claus evolved from Nick's Dutch nickname, Sinterklaas. Oh, that's so cute. A shortened form of Sint Nicholas or Dutch for St. Nicholas. That's so cute. So that's all I have on Santa Claus. I just thought you'd find that interesting. Yeah, I love it. As one of Santa's elves, I'm here for it. I also think it's interesting that he's a saint, which kind of goes into a little bit of Christianity, but by himself is not quite as Christian as you would have expected. Yeah. In a lot of media, he is portrayed as being like the messenger of God and carrying on the birth of Christ and all of this stuff. But in actuality, it had nothing to do with that. And I feel like we can go into this in a different episode, but I feel like the term saint will predate christianity and christian ideals like I, f I feel like we will find it maybe in other like languages but i think we'll find that because it's just really it's just someone who is the epitome of goodness mm -hmm. and so i feel like that idea and that that kind of role will predate christianity yeah so i mean like if you look at it like his death was sometime around 280 and we had already talked about how like Christmas wasn't widespread and wasn't widely practiced until like 300 AD. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of like practicing Christianity in secret. So maybe St. Nicholas was just seen for doing all the good things he did rather than 
he did it in the name of God or he did it in the name of Christ. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah, like, I don't know for sure, but that's my idea of it. So I think we're on the same page there. Yeah. So the next one is Krampus. What do you know about Krampus? Again, one of my favorite beans. He is... Now, I don't have any, like, crazy good information on Krampus. I just like the idea of being a dick to bad kids. But he is portrayed demonic. And I think it... I see it mostly in Italian cultures. Like, I have a friend who her husband is stationed in Italy. And they have a whole Krampus festival. And she posted pictures of, like, a Krampus parade. Now, I don't know especially, like, where else they do that. I just know specifically because she lives in Italy and, you know, posted those. But so essentially the idea is that if you are on the naughty list, if you are a bad child throughout the year, the Krampus comes and um, punishes you or takes takes the bad children away. Haha. Outside of that, I don't really know much about him. Krampus is a horned anthropomorphic figure in Central and Eastern Alpine folklore, who, during the Christmas season, scares children who have misbehaved. Assisting St. Nicholas, the pair visit children on the night of the 5th of December, with St. Nicholas awarding the well-behaved children with modest gifts such as oranges, dried fruit, walnuts, and chocolate, while the badly behaved ones only receive a punishment from Krampus with birch rods. Huh. So you, just, you get beaten with a stick. I just imagine, like, Krampus and St. Nick just skipping down the alleyway in, uh, in these towns, holding hands, only splitting off to go to different houses. If Santa, if Santa, like, doesn't go to your house, you know Krampus is coming soon. Oof. Yeah. Krampus's roots have nothing to do with Christmas. Instead, they date back to pre-Germanic paganism in the region. His name originates from the German Krampen, which means claw, and tradition has it that he is the son of the Norse god of the underworld, Hell. Okay. During the 12th century, the Catholic Church attempted to banish Krampus celebrations because he resembled the devil. More eradication attempts followed in 1934 at the hands of Austria's conservative Christian Social Party, but none of it held, and Krampus emerged as a much-feared and special holiday force. Okay. Get it, Krampus? Like, nah, Krampus will live on. Krampus forever. I think it's interesting that he's considered the son of hell. Which, I think, like, Christianity uses hell and, you know, the beings thereof, being Lucifer or, um you know, the other associated demons as uh, fear-mongering tactics as well. But they were like someone else's non-Christian fear tactic of a same similar concept. No, no. How dare you? Which is, is interesting because it's not like Krampus and the celebration thereof is like in celebration of Krampus. It's just as much a fear-mongering as Lucifer or the devil or hell. It's the same thing. So you'd think that, you know, with that logic, they'd be like, yes, we are working on the same team. Let's just make this one and the same person. But no, they had to have the monopoly on it. 
Nobody can do it as well as the church, I suppose. Yeah, yeah I heard it here first. <laughs> so this next one I listed as an honorable mention. Okay. So it's Mary Laud. Okay. Okay. So if you want to look it up just so you can get some ideas as to what it looks like, or I can describe it and then you can look it up, I'll leave that up to you. Um, describe it as I'm looking it up. because. Okay, so just as you look it up, it's M-A-R-I space L-W-Y-D. So, the Mary Laud is a wassling folk... Oh, my, my Lanta. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my Lanta. Okay. <laughs> the Mary Laud is a wassling folk custom found in Wales. The tradition entails using an eponymous hobby horse made from a horse's skull mounted on a pole and carried by an individual hidden under a sackcloth. Around Christmas and New Year's Eve, Welsh families might find themselves challenged by a decorated horse or a similar animal skull waiting them from their doorstep. Adorned with colorful ribbons and bells, the equine image of death is especially ghostly thanks to its white sheep draped over the person carrying it. As revelers sing and parade this head on a stick around the neighborhood, doors open to meet a morbid white horse in battle, specifically a battle of wits through poetry. Mary Laud is a midwinter pagan tradition whereby celebrants earn food and drink only after dominating a poetry slam fronted by the skeletal face. Oh my goodness. Where can I get an invitation? In other words, Mary Laud will challenge you to let her inside by rhyming at you, and you have to rhyme back to keep her out. And so what happens? Do you just... Okay, so if you lose, do you do you die? No. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, if, if you lose, she comes in your house and eats your food. Oh, she just shows up for dinner. Why wouldn't she want to have a meal with this thing? Yeah, she, she comes in your house, she drinks all your booze, and she eats all your food. I mean, that's just, that's, what's, what else, I mean, that's just family. That's like, I'm just gonna be, like, staving off, like, you know, your crazy, you're just gonna be staving off your crazy uncle with just, like, a rap battle at your front door. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, except they eat all your food. They eat everything in your pantry and they leave the sandwich in their mouth. Thanks. I mean, of course. Of course. What else are they for? I really like this and I think this is incredibly cool. And I would like to learn more about this because I think that participating in something like this would be incredibly fun. So a little bit more information about it is despite being associated with Christmas... Mary Laud is a pre-Christian practice. Some Welsh religions choose to parade their horse skulls through the town on other holidays, such as Halloween or May Day. Makes sense. The practice incorporates the century-old tradition of wassling, which has evolved to describe the custom of begging for booze around Christmas. <laughs> Poor folk would arrive at the doorsteps of their wealthier neighbors and ask for drink from their wassling bowl or have their bowl filled. Modern Welsh wassling isn't class-based anymore, but the end goal remains the same. Wassailers earn an invitation to come in by proving themselves through a back-and-forth rhyming battle with the residents. Oh, man. And then the last little information, information just says, Mary Laud indulges in a ritual called Ponko, an exchange of rude rhymes with the person who lives there. If Mary won and her gang get entry the household will get good luck for the rest of the year 
Mary is also mischievous, trying to steal things and chase people she likes. Oh. Well, here's my question. Yes. Is this a closed practice? Because I want to be a part of it so bad. <laughs> I don't know if it's a closed practice. I do know that, like, the idea behind Mary Laud, at least in terms of the Christian eyes, was that it was supposed to be a horse that was about to give birth to a fowl. A foal. Uh-huh. I don't know horses. Um, but it, it was a horse that was supposed to give birth the night Mary took refuge in the stable. And the horse got booted out. <gasps> and so now the horse kind of goes from house to house looking for refuge, looking for food. That's how the Christians see it. Justice for Mary. <laughs> yeah, Mary Laud as opposed to Mary, the, the Virgin Mary. As opposed to that bitch. <laughs> yeah, how dare she. <laughs> I don't know if he wants his name mentioned, but my friend mentioned it. And... He wanted me to talk about it because I was like, oh, okay, I've never heard of that. And so I just learned about it today. I'm so excited. And he said that he had done a report in it in school. I was telling him that basically I was like, oh, what? Because she can't just give birth to a horse outside. And he was like, no, it's December. It's cold. And I was like, I looked it up and I was like, uh, it only gets about 47 degrees in winter. <laughs> she could deal. She could deal. <laughs> like, it's not even that cold. You could deal. You're a horse. It's not like there's snow on the ground like all the pictures tell. Well, no, because it's in the Middle East. It's the Middle East. There's literally no snow. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I want to know if this is a closed practice because I want, low-key, I want to do, do this. It's so great. I think it's, I think it's amazing, and I want to be a part of it forever. So you'll have to look that up because I'm not 100% sure. I didn't look into it. I will. It kind of reminds me of a cross between uh, Dia de los Muertes and the Wendigo. Yes. You're like, I know what about that? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know the Dia de los Muertos um, is a multi-day celebration um, where it's yeah. just like the, the veil between the living and the dead is the thinnest. And so people pay homage to their um, deceased relatives and they get together for one big family reunion, deceased and otherwise. Um, but... I don't know anything about its correlation with the Wendigo. I'm very intrigued to hear about it uh, at some point. So, yeah, if you like, if you just want to look up Wendigo, uh huh, you'll see the correlation right away. But the the decorating of the skull for me comes with the um, the Dia de los Muertes because they would decorate their skulls. They'd wear the flower crowns, you know, dress in fancy clothes. Mm -hmm. So, like, to me, it seems like somebody took a Wendigo and made it walk through a Dia de las Muertes parade. Yeah. It's W-E-N-D-I-G-O. Okay, yeah. Um, I mean, there's lots of depictions. Most of it is, like, the anthropomorphic, like, half-human with, like, the animal legs and then the animal skull, uh, most often represented as, like, a deer or an elk. With the big horns, sometimes moose are. I've seen. I've seen where moose are like mistaken for wendigos, but like, dude, it's just a moose. You're in Canada, <laughs> dude. It's just a moose, dude. It's just a moose. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I can definitely see how like Marilod is considered very similarly aesthetically wise to the wendigo. 
Yeah. So I don't know specifically which tribes it comes from, but I do know that the Wendigo is a Native American folklore of a skinwalker. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's supposed to be about the time in winter where you would most likely be experiencing some sort of food shortage or famine. And so the idea of eating one's own kin turns you into a skinwalker. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if the Native American folklore kind of goes into it with that detail, but that's the idea as to why why that folklore came about and where it came from. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, because if you're if you cannibalize, you know, your own tribe, then you become a Wendigo. Yeah. Um, there's probably more detail on that, but that's not what I researched today, so that's not exactly what I'm covering. Yes, and I just want to say that the uh, the second when I did a Google Images search on the Wendigo, the second image is um, a side by side of Joe Biden and the Wendigo, and it just goes, <laughs> "Joe Biden is not the Wendigo." <laughs> What the fuck? And I'm just like, whew, I was worried. <laughs> yeah, because that was something we all had in the back of our mind. <laughs> yeah, we were all worried. Well, th- that that image that that image clarifies it for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not. He's not the Wendigo. You... <laughs> the Mary Laud was the last little bit of information that I researched today, and this is ten pages worth of information, and we skipped some. So. <laughs> Yeah. So I I don't know. This is the information we didn't cover today in terms of Christmas. We didn't cover food, presents, wreaths or other decorations, carols. We kind of covered carols, but really only covered one. We didn't cover clothing, scents, like candles, soaps, etc. Family traditions, family values, movies and other popular media or sales or price hikes, such as gas price hikes around the holidays. Don't get me started. This has been Uncensored Sass, the podcast. We hope you have had just as much fun listening as we had recording this episode. I can be found on social media at the OKist. That's T-H-3-O-K-A-Y-E-S-T. You can find me there on Twitter, Twitch, and Instagram. I say stuff, I stream stuff, and occasionally I take pictures. I hope you've enjoyed all of my sassy opinions. And I hope to see you guys around all over my social media. If you would like early access to the episodes, you can head over to my fanhouse. That is fanhouse.app backslash theokayist, just as it was spelled before. And if you would like a free month of fanhouse membership, just use code BARREL and you get one month for free. My name is Julia, and you can find me online at loserbb. That's L-O-S-E-R-B-I-B-I. Unless you check me on Twitter, which will be L-O-S-B-R-B-I-B-I-I. We are actually going to be taking a break for the holidays. And your next perceived early access episode will be on January 8th. We have big plans for 2022 and we are excited for everybody to see it. Super excited. Stay tuned. Bye. Bye. Dude, it's just a moose.